You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. So, how's everyone doing? Good. How's everyone out on Zoom land? Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, <clears throat> this past week we started reading the book of Kings, um, and uh, and I, it, Kings is an awesome book. I think it's an awesome book, and um, it's broken up into two books, but you know, it's the book of Kings, really. It's talking about all the kings of Israel. Now, <clears throat> if we were first century Christians, right, who had been converted from Judaism to Christianity, I would make an assumption that, that most of us most of you would actually know a fair bit uh, about the kings of Israel, right? About the book of kings. Like you would know the order of the kings and, the, and when they ruled, the length of their reign, and, and whether they were uh, a good or bad kings, right? <clears throat> and the, base, the basic story of their lives. That's what I would think of, about. I would think that you would know all of that. Um, however, because we are 21st century Christians, right? <laughs> And who have a lot of, of, of knowledge about a lot of things, but who, who seem to, be, to know very little about the Bible, um, especially the Old Testament. We need to go back, you know, to, to some basics, right? Now, that might sound a little harsh, but, you know, you know does anyone, you know, want to accuse me of being overly critical, I guess? Because, I mean, there are things that I don't know, you know, I'm supposed to know it, right, I guess, you know? But uh, yeah, I don't think so, though. But um, <clears throat> which brings me to the, the, difficult, uh, the difficulty that comes when, when preaching from uh, the Old Testament. Most of us really only have a small knowledge of, about our biblical history, right? And, when, and even, if we, <coughs> excuse me, even if we do have the knowledge, we find it very difficult to, uh, to, to, to take all of that history and apply it to our modern day lives. But I want, to get <clears throat> I want us to get excited about, you know, reading the Bible and, 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 and our biblical history that we, and <coughs> excuse me, that we have and, and to see that it can still be applied to our lives today. Amen? <clears throat> so let's start off with some important, uh, some important big picture things, right? So the years covered by First and Second Kings. The book opens in, uh, with David as an old man, you know, in his last years approximately around seven, uh, 970 B.C., right? And the book closes with a very specific date, you know, the 37th year of exile, when Owl Mardit, right, released Jehoiakim, 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 uh, from prison on the 27th day of the 12th month, right? That's in 2 Kings 25, 28. Like, this is the end of Kings. You know, and that date is basically the 12th of March, of, fi of 560 BC, right? So the, so the math is pretty easy then. You know, Kings covers a historical period of 410 years, right? The book of Kings is about 50,000 words, you know? It's very, very, very selective. There's so much that could have been included in the books, uh, which isn't, 
right? So, for example, like in 1 Kings 15, right? You don't have to turn there. I'm, not, I'm just going to reference it. But in 1 Corinthians for, uh, uh, 15, it talks about King Asa, right? He's a good, he was a good king. No, he ruled for 41 years. He dies, right? His whole rule is spoken about, is spoken, uh, about in about 500 words. You know, so he's 41 years of life, of, of his reign, and they only use 500 words for that, right? So, <clears throat> I mean, in, in, in seventh grade, the assignments are, are longer than 500 words, right? So you got to think about that. There's not a lot of words used for King Asa, who was a good king. You know, he lived, he died, you know, other stuff happened, yeah, but it's only 500 words. You know, we have recorded the kings in the... Uh, uh, and it, the recording of kings is a very selective part of the whole history. You know, that fact raises a, a really important question, right? Who does the author of kings have in mind when he collected these historical stories to put them in a book? Who do you have in mind? See, every book is written with a particular audience in mind. They're all written with a particular audience in mind. Children's books are, you know, are written with a particular audience in mind. You know, Windows 10 for Dummies is written with a specific audience in mind, right? You know, other books are written, you know, you see these like romance novels or whatever it might be, Fifty Shades of Grey, they're all written with a, a specific audience in mind, you know, which is why none of us read those books, right? Right? All right. <laughs> Anyway, so in the book of Kings was written with a specific audience in mind. So who is that audience, right? Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Who's that audience? We had a hint earlier, you know, when we, when we were talking about the, the specific uh, closing date of the book, right? It says, in, in, the, 30th, in the 37th year of exile, Jeho uh, of Jehoiakim, the, the Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. In the year Awal Marduk became the king of Babylon, he released Jehoiakim, king of, Ju of Judah, from prison. He did this on the 27th day of the, 20 of the 12th month. So this date of 12th, the, the 12th of March, uh, 560 BC, that was significant to know because it means the kings, the, that kings was written to the people of Israel who were in exile in Babylon. Right? It's, it's for the people who were, who were in exile in Babylon. There was a group of people who went into exile with Jehoiakim in five, 597 BC. You know, there was another group of people who went to ex into exile just after Jerusalem was destroyed in 587 BC. So BC goes, you know, down towards one, you know, that kind of thing. If you guys didn't, weren't catching on. But uh, so they have been in exile. These are people that have been exiled for 27 to 35 years. They've been out of their country for 27 to 35 years, depending on when you came. So these people look back and they remember. They look back and they remember. You know, Jerusalem was a wasteland. You know, 27 years before, the conquering Babylonians, you know, they set fire to the temple, you know, the palace, and every important building, uh, as well as breaking down the walls of the, uh, around Jerusalem. They did all that. So Jerusalem was in ruins. You know, and apart from, you know, some... 10,000 Judaites, right, who were left behind like, from all stations of life. They were, they were building houses and, and settling down, marrying, seeking the peace of the prosperity of the city, right? 
these are the only people that were left in, in Israel, in Judah. In the Psalm 30, 137, right, it talks about, it says that, that some days they sat by the river Euphrates and to weep in response to the torment of their captivity. These are people that, that's who the, that's who the, book, the book of Kings were, were, was written to. The worst part is the, is the, the knowledge that they have brought all this punishment upon themselves. They brought, it on, they brought it upon themselves, for they had not listened to the Lord and had aroused his anger. That's what it says in Jeremiah, right? That is the situation of the original audience of the book of Kings. Now, I know I've spent a lot of time on this, okay, but we need to understand some things, right? You see, God is the author of the Bible, and in this particular uh, case, God has inspired the author of Kings to collect these particular historical events. He said, okay, you're going to collect these particular uh, 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 historical events, only around 50,000 words worth, right? And very selective parts of history. And God has done this because he's focusing on teaching, uh, on his teaching, on, on the, uh, the teaching of the people of, uh, who are in, uh, of Israel who are in exile. You know, for, for the most part, basically lost hope and was wondering if God had the ability to save them. So you have these people who are in exile. They're wondering, they're, they're wondering and hoping that God has the, abil- the ability to save them. They're sitting there in exile for 25, 27, 35 years, born into exile, and they're trying to figure out, okay, does God, is God going to save me? Is God going to save us? Do we have hope? They've lost all hope. You know, is there any hope that, you know, that God's going to save us? You know, that's who this book was written to. And as we understand the message that's being given to the exiles, then we can understand that message is being given to us as well. You know, a lot of times we're looking for hope. Wondering if God can save us. And He can. He can. We need to have the knowledge to take, you know, to take all of the history, all that history, and apply it to our modern lives, our modern day lives. It works in other books as well, right? Take the book of Judges. You know, uh, this Old Testament book, Book of Judges. This book is basically a continuing cycle of sin. Punishment and salvation, right? That's what, it, that's what it is. God, you know, the people sin. God sends a nation to defeat them and rule over them. And after some time, the people cry out to God in repentance. And then God sends a judge or a deliverer. And then there's peace for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And the cycle repeats, you know. It, it just, that's, how, that's how the book of Judges is. But who's the book of Judges written to? And this is the last verse in, king, in Judges, and it talks about, it says, uh, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's who, the, that's who the, uh, uh, the book of Judges was written to. The whole book of Judges is designed to show what happens when you live as you see fit. When we live as we see fit, as well as showing the blessings to come, that come when you, you, know, when you put the Lord first. When you seek God first, everyone is just enjoying life and no one is thinking about the consequences, right? In Judges. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? 
You know, it sounds very familiar. We can apply it to our modern day lives. Also Chronicles, right? This is the last one I'm going to talk about, though. But also Chronicles is written, you know, to those uh, who are at the end of the exile. Right? And they're coming home. The exile was 70 years. So basically, all the people who came into exile are dead. Right? They're pretty much dead. Almost everybody's dead. Now there's a new generation. They're going to go back to the land of Israel, which has been which has been in ruins for 70 years. Right? That's a long time. They will need to rebuild and reestablish a nation. But the thing is, they don't remember any of this. They don't remember any of it. All they have are stories. Right? Their identity has been made in Babylon. They need, to, they need to make a new identity in Israel. The book of Chronicles is helping them to understand their identity, their identity as believers. And we can use that in our modern day life as well. We need to find our identity in Christ. Right? So why don't you turn with me to 1 Kings 3. Right? We can start reading the Bible and uh, get into this. Right? So let me take a swig first. So Solomon, 1 Kings 3. So Solomon made an alliance with, the Pharaoh, with Pharaoh king uh, of, I- of Egypt and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built in the name of the Lord, for the name of the Lord. So Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking, acor- walking according to the instructions given, to, given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gib- Gibeon who offers, to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count by num- or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern uh, your people and to distinguish them Sorry, and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern great, this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for death for your, of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, be, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever will be, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, 
both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Now, excuse me. You know, I wonder what motivates us as individuals and as a congregation. You know, they're about, they're about 10% uh, of the population that wake up every morning motivated by one thought. And the thought in their minds uh, is, whose life can I make miserable today? <laughs> about 10% of the people live like that. And every time I meet one of these 10 percenters, right, and we've all met them. You know, I can't give them the pleasure of making me miserable. I can't do it. But as Living Word community, as the Living Word community, you know, it sounds like, you know, when uh, on the sports shows when they, talk, when they announce the different schools they go to, it's like the, you know, the Ohio State University. You know, the, you know, whatever. So we're the living word community. And uh, no, <laughs> but, uh, but, but what motivates us? You know, is it the word? Is, is it the words of scripture? You know, being in Center City, um, the fellowship, the uniqueness that makes us who we are, um, being, you know, a perfect congregation, you know, perfect, right? You know, what motivates us as a church? You know, if we look at the church, what the church is, you know, it's not about the building. Because, like, we can look around our building and we see, like, you know, issues with the roof and with the ceiling. You know, we got the roof fixed, so now we have to make sure that there's no more leaks so that we can fix the inside of the building and blah, 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 you know. You know, you know it's not the building. You know, it's not the property. You know, you know this property is probably worth, all, this, this property is worth a lot of money, Right? And everyone comes around all the time and asks if we can sell it or blah, blah, blah. They want to buy the building and build condos or whatever it might be. But, you know, it's not the property. The church is you. The church is us as a congregation. You know, it's not property. It's people. You know, knock all this down and the people will still congregate. They'll still congregate. The church will still get together as a congregation. You know, as people, you know, I want to ask you today what motivates your Christian walk. As individuals, as a church, I want to ask, you know, what is, what is it that you ask God for? What do we ask God for? You know, I, I read from 1 Kings 3, 1 through 15. I'm not going to read it again. It was long, you know, where we had this depiction of a, of a youngish King Solomon, you know, had, uh, who on receiving the throne of Israel after uh, having it passed on to him from his father, King David, you know, meeting God in a dream, you know, in his, in this dream, God puts, you know, a proposal to Solomon, telling Solomon to ask for whatever you want me to give you. What do you want? What is it? Now, Solomon was no slouch, right? He wasn't. You know, we've already seen that, you know, he just made a political allegiance, right? He made a political alliance with the king of Egypt, you know, and married the Pharaoh's daughter. And this would not, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, but 
you know, this, it, it won't be the last uh, king's daughter that, that, that Solomon marries, right? He, you, know, you know the story. He has like all these wives and concubines or whatever. But it's not the last king's daughter that, that Solomon would marry, you know. It, you know, it was prudent back then, you know, back in the day for a, a king from, from, to form a family alliance with, you know, with, uh, uh, with friendly countries, right? Which is kind of funny. You think of Egypt as a friendly country because they had them, well, anyway, we know the story. We, we just studied uh, uh, Exodus, right? But, uh, but, uh, it, it, it was considered a friendly country, and, and as the Egyptians were outside the borders of Canaan, this was an alliance that was acceptable, right? It was one that was acceptable. The princess would have had to, to, to been obligated to, to form, from the time of her marriage, to take on the same beliefs as Solomon under Hebrew law, right? But even with the, 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 the clues that, the, that Solomon had as a king, he knew he still lacked, right? He wasn't clueless. But he knew he still lacked. Right? He still needed more than, than, than what he had. We see that he had some imperfections, you know, because we, he offered sacrifices and burnt incense and on the high places. And if you're wondering, why, wondering about this, you know, God had established worship in one place at the time of King, of David, in, in King David. And this was why David was referred to as a, God of, a man after God's own heart. Because he worshiped the one true God in one place at the tabernacle. You know, the Israelites, though, had taken over the pagan altars in high places. And though, and though God had, even though God had forbidden it, right, they worshiped God in those places. So King Solomon, who showed his love for God by walking in the statues of his, of his father, King David, went to Gibeon. Now, his reason for going to Gibeon it's because that's where the tabernacle was. You know, the tabernacle was there at that time. So he offered those thousand sacrifices to God on the altar. And, uh, and that night had a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want. So <clears throat> this would show God, this would show God what motivated Solomon. More money, fame, uh, countries, jewels, you know, beautiful women, immense power, you know, a navy, armies, you know, you know, obedience of his subjects, you know, what was it that, that, young, that the young king desired above all, all things? What did he desire above all things? The interesting thing is, <coughs> with, the, uh, with his reply to God, is, for, is he firstly, he, first he, he points out what God did for his father David. He does that. And that he showed him his great kindness because David was faithful to God and had an upright heart. He then points out that God continued to be faithful to David by giving him a son to sit upon the throne. Right? The funny thing is, is that about, about that is that David had more than one son. He had more than one son. If you read the first part of, you know, King, First Kings, you know, you see the, the one son is trying to take over, you know, that kind of thing. You know, but in fact, you know, he had 19 sons. David had 19 sons, not counting those born to his concubines. You know, Solomon was, uh, but Solomon was the one that became king. 
He was the one that became king. The difference between Solomon and, those others, and the other sons is that Solomon was, this, was pretty straight up with God. You know, he was pretty straight up with him. So, God's, so God uh, tells him to ask for anything. What do you want? His answer, right, from uh, 1 Kings 3. It says, Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry, my, carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, two numbers to count or number. You know, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and, and to distinguish uh, between right and wrong. For this is able, for who is able to govern a great people, this great people of yours? These are the words of a man who knows he's lacking something, you know. You know, you could say that his, it's words of, of self-confessed cluelessness, right? Like, he knows a little bit of something, but he doesn't really know. Doesn't really know. But what is he asking for? No. God sees it and tells him. He says in verse uh, 11, he says, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be, never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. God says, I see what you're asking for, and I'll give it to you. No, Solomon was motivated by his service as king by being, wise, by, by being a wise and just ruler. He wanted, he wanted what was best for the people of God's nation. You know, he wanted wisdom. He wanted wisdom. So what is wisdom, right? Well, the dictionary tells us that, you know, wisdom is enlightened understanding of what, true, what is true and right usually acquired through long experience and distinguished form of, of, of partial or specialized knowledge. That's what the dictionary tells us, right? You know, here are a couple of quotes about wisdom. You know, you know one person said that um, he compared uh, uh, wisdom with science, right? And he said science is, is uh, organized knowledge and wisdom is organized life, right? Okay. You know, one, another person said, you know, knowledge is a process of piling up facts, and wisdom lies in their, in, in their simplification. You know, but as Bill and Ted said, you know, uh, quoting Socrates in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, he says, the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. You know, it's like stuff like that. But what Solomon did was to ask God to give him what, tr what he truly lacked and what he needed to rule as king. God, I mean, Solomon considered himself God's servant, you know, a vessel for God's youth, use on earth. That's what he considered himself as. You know, why did, why did he ask what he asked? So he can better serve, God's, uh, serve God, and God and serve God's people. That's what he did. That's why he asked for what he asked for. You know, what would you ask for if you were in his place? What would you ask for? No. Oh, yeah. 
That sounds good. But I don't think Ted would really really ask that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, uh, but you know, but looking at the world today, right? In a state of places like Afghanistan and Syria and Libya and or in Iran and you know huge places and huge tracts in Africa and here in the U.S. right in the whole world really we, we, we see people struggling against oppression you know in our own city we see darkness and drugs and poverty and violence and hate we see all of that you know people digging through the trash because they don't have food or clothes or a place to live people killing each other for no reason <clears throat> Robbing at gunpoint, you know, because they want something someone else has. You know, this stuff is happening here in our backyard. You know, I, I tell people all the time, there's this, there's this app called uh, Citizen App. I don't know if you've had that app. I tell you, that's the worst app ever created. <laughs> because, it, I mean, it goes off like every five seconds because something's happening, you know. But it's also a good app, I think, because, you know, it, remi it, it reminds us to pray. It reminds me to pray for, you know, the different areas that I, that I see the crime that's happening and this, the, the fires and whatever might be happening. Someone's walking around with a knife or a gun or, you know, whatever it might be. But oh my goodness, that app like gets on my nerves. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know sometimes. I don't know sometimes. But, um, but yeah, but it's, this stuff is happening in our own backyard. You know, tomorrow is, is uh, the national holiday. We're celebrating the birth of Martin Luther King. You know, one thing he said <clears throat> was, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. But we have the light, right? We have the, the love, Jesus Christ. In a, we, we have that. We have that. You know, and this world is like so dark. Now, I know that, you know, I'm not going to say that we have the instant fix for, you know, all these things. Other than people realizing at some point their knees will bow and their tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will, they're going to have to do that. You know, <clears throat> as one who's done it, you know, and, and, and knows the difference it makes. You know, I guess I figure that the sooner people do this in their existence, the better their lives and their community will be. You know, we have to, we have to bow down. We have to bow down. But now back to King Solomon, sorry. And, you know, what Solomon realized, right, was, was that the kingdom he ruled here on earth was an extension of God's kingdom. That he needed the wisdom that only could... Um, that, that only God could give for it to be ruled, you know, uh, so that he can rule, um, uh, he could rule, and rule God's kingdom. Only God could give him the wisdom that he needed to rule his kingdom, right? He gained that wisdom, and while he, he did a few things, you know, he did a few things that today we would consider oppressive, right, you know, in his kingdom, but the, his kingdom flourished, and he lived within God's statutes and under his guidance, you know, we do know, however, that he made some mistakes. You know, he, he messed up, you know, later in his life. You know, in our lives, do we ask God for his guidance, for his good gifts? Do we do that? You know, it says in James, Dave was talking about it this week. Um, uh, I think it was this week. Maybe it was last week. But this week, um, you know, it, it, 
I think it was last week, but it says in James uh, 1.5, it says, you know, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. If you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You know, we meet people every day who struggle with life, with the way they are living it, you know, who claim to not be in control. You know, you know they're not in control. People who are, are in need of wisdom, this is something that God will provide. And then it needs to be lived in. We need to live in the wisdom of God. God will give us the ability to discern between, you know, what is right and what is wrong. We only need to ask. We only need to ask. You know, I sometimes wonder in our, in our asking of God, you know, whether we ask too small. Do we ask too small? You know, God can be, you know, be like, God, can I please have a, 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 a spot right outside the, 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 the store, right? How many times do we pray that? You know, that I don't have to walk too far, you know? You know, it's raining outside. God, can you help me with that? God, can I sit next to the, the cute boy or girl in, on the train or on the bus, you know? Uh, God, if you, if you help me through this exam, I will, I, will, I will try harder next term, you know? God, stop me from saying the wrong thing. You know, do we live, I mean, do we live our lives centered on what is good for us, or do we, uh, or do we center our thinking on what, is, is, is <clears throat> what it is that God will require of us as his servants? You know, I think we should be asking big prayers. Like, how do I do my part to bring your kingdom so that it will be here on earth as it is in heaven? Or how do I love my neighbor as myself? What is it, God, that you require of me so that I can, thrive, so, so that I can live it out and that <clears throat> my life might be a true blessing, have true meaning? It might be, have exter- eternal consequences for your people, for your name's sake. God, how, I, how do I live to serve all people? The thing with young Solomon is that it was, he was initially wise enough to know that he was stupid, enough to know that he needed the wisdom that, could only, that only God could give him. He was wise enough to know that he was stupid, right? To know that he needed God's wisdom to do what he needed to do. What motivates your thinking? What motivates your thinking? You know, many of us come to church or watch on Zoom and we feel that's enough. We think that that's enough. You know, my fear is that we become, you know, stagnant and passive people. You know, where church becomes like a Netflix show. We can just click on it and we can go watch. You can choose what, what church you really want to watch that day, you know, and not really participate in. I said it a few weeks ago, and, and Dave said it, uh, last, said it this past Wednesday. You know, we're not to be spectators. We cannot be spectators. We just, where we just sit and click or watch from the sidelines. You know, we need to get into the game. We need to get in the game. You know, the Lord called us to do three things, basically, right? To love him, to love people, and to make disciples. 
We can't do that if we're just sitting around, you know, doing nothing. We can't do that if we're not active participants in the body of Christ. We can't be self-focused. You know, self-help is not the answer. Self-help is not the answer. We can't be consumed by our own selfish desires. You know, we don't need good advice. You know, we need, what we need is good news. What we need is the gospel. The world doesn't need good advice. The world needs the gospel. It needs the good news. And if we don't bring it to them, how do we know? How will they know? How will they know? We need to be kingdom focused. We need to be kingdom focused. You know, are we kingdom focused or are we self focused? What are you? What am I? I mean, I can speak for myself. I know that I am self focused a lot. You know, it can, all, it can be all about me, you know, at times. Just to let you know. I am not like, you know, that high and mighty guy. That's not me. That's me. That's, that is not me. I can be self-focused. But when you ask for God, when you ask for something, you know, uh, when you ask God for something, are you asking out of, you know, <clears throat> what, the, what, what you can do for the Lord and others or out of selfish motives? What are you, how are you asking? You know, do you live a life of wisdom or it's opposite. Or it's opposite. You know. Do you live for the kingdom of God or for yourself? They're big choices. They're big choices. So I ask, I'm going to ask you today, what motivates you? What motivates you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for who you are, Lord God. Lord, I know that I can be selfish. And Lord, I know that we all can be selfish, just to be honest with you. We're all selfish. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, change our motivation. Lord, it won't be, that it won't be about us. Lord, that it will be about you and what you have for us, Lord. Lord, change our mindset, change our thought processes, Lord God. Lord, give us your wisdom, so, Lord, so we can live a life, Lord, that is for your kingdom and not for our own selfish desires. Lord, I say it all the time. We need you more than anything else, anything else we, in this world. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need your guidance. Lord, we need your protection. We need your... Uh, um, your, your light, Lord, your, uh, in our life, Lord, that, 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 that takes us on the road, Lord, that you have planned out for us. That narrow road that leads to you. The road, Lord, that gives us hope.
Lord, change, Lord, what motivates us every day as we live our lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.